Coming up in just a minute is Gary Renicky, former Baltimore Oriole, who played uh, one season in Montreal, and then he played from 1978 through 1985 with the Baltimore Orioles, then played in 86 with the Yankees, and a couple of years in Atlanta. But he joins us right now on our uh, Bat Around Live Casino Hotel hotline, and it's Gary Renicky. Gary, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, first of all, got to ask you, I'd forgotten, I knew we got you from Montreal, but you did play 29 games with the Expos in 1976. Ross Grimsley was just up there um, in Montreal because they had a thing for the uh, the exhibition games up there. Uh, were you in attendance there? No, but I wish I was. Um, Ross told me about it actually down at the Oriole Fantasy Camp. So I said, well, Ross, I'd love to help out in any way I could. Right. I, I, you know, not that I I enjoyed the city. <laughs> the ballpark at that time that I played in wasn't very good. So it was seemed like it was always cold and windy, and, and I struggled playing there. I did okay on the road, but uh, always liked the Montreal uh, city and the fans and so, I, you know, I always enjoy my time back there. The ballpark you played in, was that Jerry Park? Exactly. Yeah, that yep. was before the uh, Olympics of, what, 1976, and then they had Exhibition Stadium there for the Right, the right. Time. Before I was traded to Baltimore, I was still property of, of the Expos. I was playing in Denver at that time. Okay. They were using Olympic Stadium, and, and I think I was supposed to be called up two, two, two different times during that season, and I got hurt both occasions. So I never did make a, you know, make presence on that field. And then I got traded to Baltimore and the rest is history. Tell me a little bit about, I'm, I'm looking at your baseball ref, reference record. And I, I always remember you were a, a big instrumental part of the 79 season and the world series in 83, but there's a 27 game appearance with the Orioles uh, in 1978 uh, what happened? You had you had gone from Montreal to the Orioles, and were you in Rochester for much of that season? I was, but I I, I began for I began, I made the club out of spring training. I can remember the first time you know being traded to Baltimore. I show up in spring training. I knew a couple of the names, but then when I stepped onto the field that first day, I looked around. I go, How am I going to make this team? You know, there were main <laughs> players everywhere. Right. But but I had a good spring. Earl took me on the roster, and I didn't play much. He only played me against uh, a few left-handers and Ron Guidry, you know, the year he uh-huh. had that year. Well, I didn't get many hits. And then uh, in June, uh, Al Bumbry broke his leg, and, you know, I thought, well, maybe this is my chance to play. And instead, they sent me down to AAA, activated Elrod Hendricks, and brought somebody else up. And I stayed down there and played under Frank Robinson for, for three months, and had a really good last month there, and got called back up to Baltimore, and that's when I started to, started to hit the hit a little bit that last uh, or September 1978. So now I know you probably I, I don't know how well you know Mike Elias or Sig Maydahl, the guys that are in charge of the Orioles right now, but they seem to take an approach that they want players who are on the precipice of being ready for the majors to really be polished off as prospects and ready to go in the major leagues. And that sounds like, it, it seems like it might be like the modern way to do things. It sounds like a little bit that's what the Orioles did with you. Well, they, they did. I, you know, I, 
I don't know, Mike. I, I tried to get a hold of him this winter. I was, I was, you know, hoping that he'd hire me back or hire mm-hmm. some scouts. That didn't materialize, but you know, I'm hoping to do that again this winter. But uh, I agree with what their philosophy is. I think when you, you know, don't rush people up to the major leagues, and and maybe they'll do well at the beginning, and then they'll they'll go deep in a hole or or not start off very good. And, you know, baseball is all about confidence. You know, when you're young. So if you feel like they feel like you're ready and then you make that big step, uh, that's the biggest step from AAA to the major leagues. Much more than, say, another level up to the to a higher level. But that's what people used to do in the in the old days. Yeah, that's our philosophy. I I totally agree with it. We're talking with Gary Renicky, former Orioles outfielder. When we hear that a chance Cisco, uh, and I'm sure that's a name you're familiar with. I don't know how much you've seen him, but hits four home runs the first four or five exhibition games this spring, and then at the last minute, despite the fact he had like an on-base percentage in the high four, the like 480 or something, and he was hitting over 300, they send him down. They also sent in their best prospect. They sent Austin Hayes down. When they send players that appear to be ready and they say that they want them to really continue their development – Tell take me through, and I know you haven't been to the minor league since 1978, but what that development take, looks like at the AAA level is it a lot of work done before ball games, or is it a lot of talking to during games, or is it just simply letting a player go out and figure it out a little bit uh, at that level? Well. I kind of know what those guys are going through because that happened to me that last year with Montreal. Mm-hmm. I actually got sent down. I went three for three and hit a home run in a spring training game, and they sent me down <laughs> the <laughs> next day. Right. So they they have that long range plan. Uh, I I know that they're very pleased in spring when when the kid you mentioned hit all those home runs. They said, "Well, you know, we've seen him. We know what he can do at this level. But now we'll you know we'll start." Start them down. It's kind of their long range plan. They know, mm-hmm. you know, most of the time they know who they're going to take at that major league level. And if it's a question of do we take this young guy or do we stick with this guy that we have, they'll probably send the young guy down and let him play and let him get more at bats. I know the old philosophy we used to be is you give a, a minor league of 2,000 minor league at bats and then you figure he's ready for the major leagues. Yeah. So instead of coming up, starting the season, you know, and so many guys do well in spring training. And then they start the season when the clock actually starts, and then they struggle. And you don't want a young kid doing that. You'd rather have him go down there. When he is hot, now's the time to get him up. Back when you played, Gary, and it, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, a, a generation or two ago, but it was back in the well, 80s. pretty close. Man. It's, it's getting pretty, pretty close. close. It was back in the 80s. There was not the economic element where younger players were so much cheaper that that's why we got to get them up here. It seems like with the the way salaries skyrocketed through free agency arbitration, that when play when teams can't afford certain people, they look around at their system and go, "Well, wait a minute. If we bring this guy up, um, we can afford him, and we let this guy go, we can." We can hit our budget marks. How much of young players getting to the big leagues now is about the economics? Well, you hear a lot about you know them not wanting to start the clock, right? You know, on his playing time. 
and, and it is it is a factor. Um, you know, when I played, and even before, the money just wasn't there. Uh, I was my last few years. It was during the collusion where we had to take pay cuts. Nowadays, with the with what these guys make in the in the arbitration eligible time, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, and it can happen during the mid seasons or whatever. So they they would start a guy down and bring him up maybe a month into the season if he's doing well down there. I know with Ballinger, the Dodgers did that a few years, a couple years ago, and he had ended up hitting thirty some home runs and not even starting the season with him. They didn't want to start the clock, and it's true, that plays into a great, you know, a great deal of a, a big factor. That means they can keep him another, at least another year. We're talking with Gary Renicky. Gary, if you have aspirations of getting back into the game as a scout, and I know, and Jim Henneman know, and we always talk it up that you are really one terrific scout. And not everybody that is a scout is a terrific scout, but you are a good evaluator of talent. Like a player who might be on the sidelines for a season, how do you keep up with the game? Are you Do you subscribe to MLB Extra Innings? Are you watching a lot of, a lot of games so you can keep up your product knowledge? Well, I, I was, Dan, when I first, uh, wasn't hired because this know, is I, your this is your second year out, right? No, actually, I've been out for this is my seventh. This is your seventh year. year. Okay, yes, 2011 was my last year with uh, with Baltimore. Okay, and you know I I got that screwed up. I yeah. thought Dan I thought Dan had hired you. Gosh, it's no, been that long. No, he okay, put, he didn't when he okay. came on board, and it wasn't Andy who let me go. Right, it was actually his his nephew. And then, you know, didn't really give me a reason. Yep. You know, I was instrumental in a lot of the big trades there, and I felt the same way. You know, thank you for those kind words. And, and then I feel the same way. Yeah. I could get inside knowledge that no other people could get. Yep. And for some reason, when they let me go, Milwaukee hired me. And after that, I couldn't find a job. So I stayed in really close to the game because I figured, okay, maybe I'll be out one year. Mm-hmm. And then it was two years. And then it was three years. So every year since, I've kind of fallen farther and farther from following what's going on. But I know if, you know, I'm just hoping that Baltimore could bring me back this winter when they start uh, hiring more scouts, that uh, I would start reading and following again and and catching up. All right. Gary Renicky is our guest. Gary, now you've got a brother that while he didn't have the fame of uh, hitting 120 big league home runs and having a 351 on base percentage, uh, he's been around champions. Uh, was your brother with Mike Sosha in with the Angels when they won their championship? Yes, he was. He, he when Mike joined uh, when he got hired on and out there in Anaheim in 2000. And that's his brother, Ron. by the way. His name's Ron Renicky. Yes, right, ahead. right. They asked Ron to be his. Uh, his third base coach, he and Ron went back to uh, AAA. They played AAA with the Dodgers coming up together. and So Ron became his uh, third base coach and, and worked his way into the bench coach. But, yes, he was the third base coach on that 2002 team. And now he's the bench coach for Alex Cora in Boston, correct? Right, correct. Last year, uh, last year he signed a three-year contract, and last year was his first year. And given Alex some uh, some expertise and some, some you know, He's managed the Milwaukee Brewers for a little more than four years. I remember so he's that. Been around, yep. He's been around quite a bit. And Alex being his first year, you know, they worked pretty well together. Yeah, they were a good team. And uh, a first-year manager, no matter how good he is, it helps to have an experienced head in that dugout that might point some things out that uh, need, to, need to be 
uh, on the table of the manager. Do you know the Orioles uh, manager at all, Brandon Hyde? I don't. Okay. I don't. The uh, only thing I can say about Brandon is he's he's done it the right way. Yeah. He's, he's he's earned an opportunity to be a major league manager. So you know, kudos to him, and I'm glad he went through the went through the process. And you know, they they're playing pretty well. It's, yeah. it's nice to see that uh, you know they're right there with everybody else in that below uh, well, Tampa Bay. Well, this is going to be a long season here in Baltimore. You may want to say nice things about them because you're, <laughs> you want to work for them. And I agree that they're doing everything the right way, uh, but this is going to be a, a tough, tough season for Well, them. I think everybody knows that, but, but you know what? It's nice to have that first good week. Yep. You know, if you no can play some better at baseball it. and get out of there and not like play like Boston was doing. You know, look at how they started the season. I mean, who would ever thought that? You've been you've been around a number of teams. Uh, you know, when these guys like Brandon Hyde got his job uh, with the Baltimore Orioles, his first shot is with a total rebuild. Uh, Dale Sfame, you remember when the Cubs hired him with Theo Epstein? That was his first opportunity. They don't seem to make it through the rebuild. Um, I, I think the managers that do make it through are few and far between, but there are stories of that. That's a very tough situation to sort of try and steady things, but you're still, at the end of the day, you're judged a little bit by that win-loss record. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody knows, you know, they they didn't start that phrase, you're hired to be fired out of accident, you know. But I would say every single one of those guys that did not make through that rebuilding process you're talking about until the team was ready to compete, they would rather go through that opportunity than not being hired at all. So at least they always say, I got that opportunity. When you get into coaching, that's what your ultimate goal is, is to be a, a major league manager. Same with being a player. When you become a professional player, your goal is to become a major league uh, player. So same with the coaches. So, them not being able to finish it out is better, I'm sure they would all say, than to not be hired at all. Yeah, no question about it. Gary, uh, the analytics that have uh, taken over our game that we love so much, are you an appreciator of them? Are you a deep diver in them? Or you're a naysayer on uh, what <laughs> analytical assistance can do to teams? Well, I don't want to say a naysayer, but I do believe that that's part of the reason I've been kept out of the game for so long. Yeah. So many of these guys uh, that have taken over what I do mm-hmm. uh, have never played the game. They just figure they come up with these uh, formulas, how you can rate players. But right. It, you know, all this stuff does not tell you what kind of person he is, what kind of teammate he is, what kind of work ethic he has. It does not tell you that. Um, now, the defense, I agree with some of it, how you can rate guys, but mm-hmm. I still don't understand why and how they think that you can rate a defensive player just by numbers. You know, you, you watch him play. Watch him play. Is he playing in the right position? Does he hit the cutoff man? Does he do this? Does he do that? Does he make every play he should make? You know, it's just by watching from the stands or watching on TV. That's how you can rate a good defensive player. You know, the other stuff, I think what, what it's hurt, I mean, I've, I'm a proponent of using numbers right. and mix them in, in what you see right. on the field. I've always used both, but now when they're coming up with this launch angle and this exit velocity, those two things to me, being a hitting guy leads to more strikeouts. 
And that's where that's really funny that you mentioned those two terms because that's where I was going to take this. Do you understand there's a there's a player that's playing right now for Tampa that had been on the precipice of some good things with the the Indians, Yandy Diaz, and he's about six four, six five, big guy. His on base percentage is terrific. His batting averages in the minor leagues are always terrific. Now they've they've Tampa has acquired him. And he virtually never homers, and all of a sudden they're working on changing a launch angle, and now he's got three home runs. But you're right, changing launch angle can also bring a lot more strikeouts. They don't seem to mind the strikeouts in today's game the way they did in your day. No, they don't. What was last year, the first year ever, where they had more strikeouts than base hits than yep. baseball? Yep. You know, launch angle means... And when you hit it, when you put it, like we talked about confidence, baseball is such a skillful sport. You know, I, I tell everybody I've talked to that baseball players are the best athletes in the world because most of them excelled in other sports. Mm-hmm. So it's a hard thing to do. You're hitting a round bat with a round ball. And if you're trying to tell a person in his head to swing up with a launch angle, that means swing up. Right. That bat is not in the path of the ball coming in very, very long. You've got to catch it in a perfect timing. And then when you're mentioning exit velocity, exit velocity means you got to swing the bat harder. Right. Which, so which can you're, mean you're pull, more out of control, can it? You're pulling your head. Yeah. Every single, all your listeners, if they would watch these guys or go to a game or watch on TV, almost every time a person swings as hard as he can, he will not hit the ball. Because if you move your head just a little bit, because mm-hmm. we talked about that round bat coming through on a plane to hit that round ball coming in, if that head pulls just a fraction, you will not make contact. Gary, I got to ask you a question, and, I'm, I, and we're we're getting to the end of our time today. But I'd love to get you back on sometime. Uh, I'm a huge proponent for a variety of reasons of the um, electronic eye calling balls and strikes moving forward, and it wouldn't happen a day too soon. Couldn't happen a day too soon for me. I think that the worst thing in the game that still exists is the unpredictability from day to day of the strike zone, Uh, that pitchers don't know what's just going to be a strike today. I mean, they got to feel it out over two or three innings, and then maybe they know. I wonder where you side on on that. Well, I'm I'm more of a traditionalist. I know what you're saying. It is um, inconsistent, but, you know, usually at at that level, those umpires are there for so long. Yep. You get to know them, and you know what their strike zone is. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Probably more so now. Before, it used to be a crossover. If you went you know, from American League career right. and you go to the National League, now they're different umpires. But right. now these guys cross over, and if they're there for that long. You get to know them, and you know what their strike zone is going to be. Uh, you know, if they, if they did that, if they took that, I'm sure the umpires would say, well, you don't need us. We don't need us at all. You know, the TV can make every play, every call. Well, but, we'll know, see. Maybe, we'll maybe see. they should. Yeah, and the hard thing is, is, too, is the replay. Sometimes it slows it down. It takes forever yeah. for them to make a decision sometime on safe out or fair foul. So, so last question I have for you today is, with all the tinkering going on in baseball, baseball has announced MLB and the Atlantic League uh, have announced a partnership, I think, for three or four years Apparently, Major League Baseball is going to pay to put uh, what's it called, TrackMan, the the radar system in every ballpark in the Atlantic League. 
They are talking about exploring the second half of this year, moving the pitcher's mound back two feet. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard of to try and bring more offense into the game? More offense into the game? That's I think what, there's more offense right now, a lot yeah. more than what I played. Yeah. I mean, these, these balls they're using now are so much harder. They're the same ball. They don't want to say it, but they're the same ball that they experimented with, I remember, in 1987. And if guys went back and looked at numbers, right. some guys hit career home runs that one year. It's the same ball. They brought it back after the strike year. And now you got guys that are bigger and stronger swinging these lighter, harder maple bats hitting a harder ball. You know, if they would just get rid of this launch angle and just make solid contact, you'd have a lot more runs scored. All right. So I don't think they need to be bringing it back and have the pitcher force him to throw that. Uh, this is the, this is frankly the craziest thing I've ever heard, and I doubt I, I, I somehow doubt that it's even going to get to the advanced stage where they do it in the Atlantic League. But I think the the danger for pitchers there trying to muscle up is just uh, it's a, yeah it's yeah, an it's accident waiting to, to happen. Know, yeah, they're so in tune to throwing sixty feet six inches, and now you want to move it back. Hey, Two feet, that, that affects their breaking pitches. Yep. Hey, I got to tell you, it was great to see you at the 83 um, reunion. Uh, you're, you're a fan favorite here for a long time, and uh, uh, let's get you back in the game. All right? Thank you. I'd love to. All right, I'll Gary. Enjoy my time there. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. There's Gary Renicky, uh former Oriole.